did you actually watch the ad? The Freedom Mom ad that was rejected by the Oscars? Sure, I watched it, yeah. What did you think? I'm Cynthia Overgaard, owner of Hypnobirthing of Connecticut, childbirth advocate, and postpartum support specialist. And I'm Trisha Ludwig, certified nurse midwife and international board-certified lactation consultant. And this is the Down to Birth podcast. Childbirth is something we're made to do, but how do we have our safest and most satisfying experience in today's medical culture? Let's dispel the myths and get down to birth. So the freedom on that. What came up? What thoughts did you have? Oh, like a like a tender compassion came up for me toward myself because it brought me back to what those days were like, but to moms and just how um, how physically vulnerable we are. It really was such a real, honest, accurate depiction. Yeah, it was so well done. So for those who don't know what we're talking about, there was a Freedom Mom ad depicting a postpartum mom making her way in the middle of the night from her bed to the bathroom to the toilet. There was a baby crying in the background, and they are promoting some of their postpartum products. And the ad was rejected by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Science. So the hope was that it would be aired during the Oscars, and it was not. But it certainly made its way around social media. Why was it rejected, Trisha? Did we know? Because they said that it was, it actually, I think somewhere they said it was too authentic. Hold on. Wait. Yes. It, I don't believe them if they said that. It's too, like, it's just too good. It Come on. It's too honest. Well, really? I, I, I'm afraid the truth is it's just not sexy. That's part of it, but it's also that it depicts women in a way that women, that men don't want to view women. That's the whole problem, yeah. and that's the whole yes. point, and the whole reason this is controversial right now, right? Right, exactly. It's like, I don't, I don't care how you want to depict women. This is real, and women feel seen. I mean, I'm sure there are some women who don't want this ad out there, too, for whatever reason, but this is such a reality. The ad was rejected by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Science because they wanted to see a kinder, more gentle portrayal of postpartum. What the it heck was does too that mean? Real. It was kind and gentle and authentic. I it don't believe that. Real. And why are they the arbiter on what postpartum moms feel is kind and gentle? It was perfectly kind and gentle. I They're, don't think that they want to see postpartum being uncomfortable and difficult. I just think it, they didn't really harsh. want to look at it. Well, yeah. I think it just wasn't sexy enough. That's of course. They, they don't want to see those big, stretchy we, underwear. We, right. <laughs> and they don't want to see. Well, too bad. You're going to look at it for things. 30 seconds. You do? Oh, come on. Well, when you're postpartum, you oh. do. <laughs> I was <laughs> like, the best. please don't tell me you still wear them. Um, <laughs> no, yeah. We, I, <laughs> when when the, the CEO of the company was asked what she thinks, how they could have, because they, they rejected the ad and they went back to them and said, you need to make some modifications and then we'll accept it. And you, one of those was that you need to make it kinder, more gentle portrayal of the postpartum period. And uh, the CEO stated that in regard to what she thinks might have made the cut, she describes the ad would have been probably featuring a woman feeding her baby through a bottle 
or mm-hmm. cradling, cradling her. Preferably with her hair blown out and her nails done. In the nursery. At night. With her partner. Smiling, looking at her baby. Who is probably male. Mm-hmm. By her side. Did it say that? You're reading this. That's true. Did That's everything true. you just read, who is probably male. Yes. It said all that. Yeah. That's what she said. That Then the ad maybe would have been accepted. You know, the halftime show. That was my exact thought. So with Shakira and Jennifer Lopez in the halftime performance show, in the <laughs> halftime in the halftime show, I'm not a football person. Sex act? <laughs> <laughs> okay. That was so controversial, right? Everyone's talking about it. They, the women knew it would be. But I feel like this is a controversy our country is totally happy to, like we're totally happy with, we're comfortable with. Why isn't this free to add a controversy everyone's happy to have? Why can't we still have it? So let it all come out. Show the ad and let everyone take their position. But it'll get talked about. And the one thing that'll keep getting said is this is real. You might not like it. But this is real. I showed it to my husband, and there was a little voice in my head like, uh-huh. <laughs> like, here I am. <laughs> you know, here I am all these years later. But I, I'm still happy to have that conversation and show it to him and have him take a moment and just give a little nod and reflection and acknowledgement to what it is like for a woman. I'm not a victim here. I'm not sorry. I'm grateful. I'm a woman. I'm grateful. I'm the one who who did that, I, I wouldn't change our positions if we could. But I, I want to be seen for that chapter of our lives. Yeah, I hear you. So did you show it to Paul? I don't think I did. No, I didn't. I have but. issues. <laughs> <laughs> I have unresolved issues, clearly. Um, no, I, I love to. I really love to take that opportunity to just say this is what it's like. And then there's moments we have as new moms where we think, oh my gosh, my mother did this for me. I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have gotten the response I wanted, so I just didn't <laughs> bother. <laughs> why feel resentful right, right in the middle exactly. of a nice day? Yes. And if we can gyrate on stage, why can't we? They so always bring on these controversies, right? Why, I mean, why, why can't we see somebody walking in discomfort, wearing an oversized pair of stretch underwear? What is wrong with that? It's not a turn on. Right. Not That's, what the men want to see. I feel and, like it can't get talked about enough. And yeah, because women are so unprepared for it, too. I mean, let's, let's help women understand that those first few days are going to be uncomfortable. Maybe even the first week that these things are hard. First few weeks is yeah, uncomfortable. Yes, yes. It can be the first few weeks, but so many women don't even know. They don't know any of that. So Freedom Mom, we're on your side. Yeah, bring on the ads. Just post them on the internet and let keep us them, do the rest. Keep it going. We'll share them. Keep it going. So we got some questions in. We did. Unfortunately, one of the voice recorded messages came in while she was on her car phone, and the quality isn't great, so I think, we'll Trisha, if it's it. okay with you, yeah, because she yeah. also reached out via Instagram. Do you have it, the one about weaning? I sure do. Let's go. Hi, lovely ladies. I'm wondering if you Thank would be Thank you for willing. that. Yes, okay. we like to be called lovely ladies. <laughs> My dad always called me that when I was little. It's cute. Lovely lady. Okay, go ahead. Who wouldn't want to be a lovely lady? <laughs> Here we go. I'm wondering if you would be willing to spend some time talking about weaning. My pediatrician recently recommended that I start to think about weaning Ellie when she gets to be one year old. She said that it might be in my best interest to let my body replenish itself before I think about having another baby. 
I've seen through Instagram and other sources that there are people who nurse their babies through pregnancy. So I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on this and if you have any personal experience to share. It's feeling incredibly emotional and I'm also exhausted. Anna from Florida. Do you think when she says she's exhausted, it's that breastfeeding itself is just exhausting her? Oh, no, I think I think she's just saying maybe that she's having a hard time processing all of this because she's overwhelmed and exhausted and overthinking it and probably. Yeah. Overthinking it is the perfect way to start this conversation because overthinking weaning is the problem with weaning, right? Why is that? Because weaning happens easiest when you just let it take its own course. Forced weaning is difficult and challenging and uncomfortable. Natural weaning is easier. Natural weaning can happen at two and a half years. It can happen anywhere from, it can happen anytime. Her pediatrician is recommending that she wean at one year old so that she can, her body can replenish and recover before getting pregnant with the next child. Red flag, my own opinion here, don't take breastfeeding advice from your pediatrician. Definitely would agree with you there. And I think the recommendation from the pediatrician comes from the American Academy of Pediatrics, which says that you should breastfeed your baby from 6 to 12 months and that after 12 months you can you know, add a- additional supplements and milk or whatever. But they also, the American Academy of Pediatrics says you can nurse for longer than that if you wish. I don't, yeah, what's the point of their recommendation? If they're saying nurse for at least 12 months, great. And longer if you wish. But to say wean and now stop nursing your baby, that gives a woman well, a lot of anxiety because the baby is saying, I don't want to stop breastfeeding it. And we're assuming that because that's the situation Anna's I in. think what happens is that because the the recommendation is to nurse your baby until 12 months, then somehow it becomes the conclusion that you should start to wean your baby at 12 months, which is really, they don't go together. That's not that's not the case. Nat, when you say natural weaning happens between 12 and 18 months, do you mean the beginning of weaning happens? Yes, so weaning is a long process. Weaning means the very first time that you introduce supplemental food or milk, that is the very first step of weaning. Oh. But that may begin at seven months or six months when you give the baby the first bite of solid food that does not mean you stop breastfeeding and that process can go on from six months to two years or three years most of kids naturally do wean between 12 months and two years of age because they become so interested in other things that they they naturally start to breastfeed less because other things have picked up their interest, eating solid food, playing with toys. And then because they're breastfeeding less, your milk supply goes down. And it's just this process that works together. And that's fine. And I don't think anyone should feel pressured to wean at any specific point. But what if she's having another baby and the milk, you hear that this is the milk for your toddler and now the baby will need new milk. What is the advice there with a woman planning? Just breastfeed right through your pregnancy? You can. You can. Many children actually will wean themselves regardless of the age when you become pregnant because the milk changes you go back to producing colostrum when they're used to full full fat breast milk and they when the milk changes sometimes they just decide that they don't want to do it anymore and then what if the toddler keeps breastfeeding in the early weeks or months of that baby i've had many women who have um, nursed their toddlers while they have an infant and the rule of thumb there is just that the newborn gets first right to the breast. So my suggestion is that she should allow natural weaning and not worry about any definitive time frame. And she can absolutely get pregnant while still 
nursing and she can nurse right through her pregnancy. And I, I think it's also though really important, I wanna clarify that if you're going back to work or you're away from your child, that's not forced weaning. That That's cutting back feeding. It is a part of weaning. When I'm saying, what I'm talking about forced weaning, weaning means that when you get a specific day that somebody says, that's it, no more breast, done, this relationship is over, that's not good for the mom or the baby, and it's not good for the mother's breast either. Because it didn't happen in line with supply and demand. Right, so you could, you're at risk for engorgement, mastitis. Yeah. So Anna, I hope that that was helpful, and um, we'd love to hear from you what happens. And enjoy conceiving. <laughs> Have good sex. <laughs> Trisha, we got another question that I think piggybacks fairly well off the last one. And here's what it says. Question regarding second and subsequent pregnancies. Most publications say to wait 18 months before attempting to get pregnant again. So I am looking for your opinions on the matter. For background info, I'm over 35. My child is four months old. When is it, quote, safe to start trying to conceive again? I think the consensus is correct that most publications, and even if you Google it, you will get the number 18 months as being sort of the average safe, quote, safe time to wait between having children. There's not a lot of research on this, but there is actually some. And I will tell you that there is some new research out there that says that the window of time is shorter than that that you can that actually waiting only 12 months between pregnancies is safe what does any of this mean because i, I never thought it wasn't safe at all if your body is it's ready, not, there are some risks to having shorter intervals between babies there are in, there is an increased risk for the baby and some for the mom in a few cases the world health organization does recommend you wait 12 to 24 months between pregnancies. If you if you just look at um, how natural child spacing works, meaning child spacing without the use of birth control, 12 to 18 months is the interval. There are some additional risks to the mom and baby with shorter intervals of pregnancy. So short intervals, three to six months, that is not generally recommended. At least waiting 12 to 18 months is the recommendation. So for these women who get their periods back really quickly, even if they're still breastfeeding, that's not your own body's way of saying you're good to go? Well, in the case of a woman who is exclusively breastfeeding, um, lactational amenorrhea is an effective way of pre preventing pregnancy for the first six to 12 months. What's lactational amenorrhea? That not having your period you're while you're breastfeeding. Yes, exactly. But that requires on-demand breastfeeding without any use of pacifiers or bottles or pumping. But what if she gets her period back? Does that mean she's good to go? No, that means that she, yes, it means that her, she's ovulating again. But does it mean she should use birth control and make sure she doesn't get pregnant again too soon, even if she wants another baby as soon as possible? I think that would be her personal choice. But the, what the research says is that 12 to 18 months is the optimal spacing between pregnancies for optimal health and lowest risk to mom and baby. There is a slight increased risk for mothers and babies when the interval between pregnancies is shorter than that. Okay. But if, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I don't want to put fear in any woman's mind if she gets pregnant at six or nine months after having a baby. But if you have the choice, 
and it works for you and it works for your life. I think the, the issue becomes more significant for women who are older and they want to shorten the interval between having babies so that they're, because we do know that every year a woman gets older, certain risks do go up in pregnancy. So for that woman, maybe erring more, you know, toward the 12 month end of the spectrum as opposed to the 18 month side. When you said certain risks increased, my first thought was including multiples. <laughs> like Absolutely. The risk that that, oh, fine, let's go for number three and have one more, and then you get twins. And then you get three. <laughs> we have a great story coming up about that soon. We do. We have a triplet story coming up. And it's outstanding. We can't wait to share that one. Down to Birth is sponsored by Postpartum Soothe. Recovering from a vaginal birth takes many women by surprise. Everyday activities like sitting, walking, and going to the bathroom can be uncomfortable, and Postpartum Soothe is just the remedy to support your healing and relieve discomfort. Postpartum Soothe is a 100% organic herbal blend that's applied to maternity pads in the days immediately following your birth, giving you all the benefits of a sits bath 24-7. That's because herbs like comfrey leaf, uva ursi, and witch hazel are known for their antimicrobial and anti-inflammatory properties. Postpartum Soothe can be prepared anytime during the third trimester, and it makes a beautiful baby gift. It's a must for any woman seeking a faster, easier recovery from a vaginal birth. Visit postpartumsoothe.com. That's postpartumsoothe, S-O-O-T-H-E dot com, and use promo code DOWNTOBIRTH. Cynthia, what's your take on this one? It's a short question, I'm but ready. probably a long answer. Uh-oh. How do you feel in control when you are a high-risk pregnancy? I think it's the same answer that I would tell anyone. If you want to feel in control, it's an inner control you want to feel. It's getting to a place of trust. And the step that has to precede that is hiring a provider uh, with whom you can relinquish. So the work begins in pregnancy. I have to interject with an interesting anecdote. I had a client many years ago, and after class she hung out and she wanted to talk with me privately, and she, whatever she said, she had a question and said, because I'm high risk. I said, would you mind telling me why you're high risk? And she said, for two reasons. One, I'm old, That was a, that's a quote. And I'll tell you the second one in a moment. I asked her how old she was, and she said, 33. What, old? Oh my gosh. Her providers told her she was old. I just was like, what? That is not supported even by the people who go crazy loving to tell women they're old. 33, I just have never encountered. So she looked anxiety-ridden and worried about her age. It's two years below the (laughs) technical (laughs) AMA. Oh, I had another friend who told me that. um, I have another friend who was pregnant, beautiful, healthy, thriving, pregnant at 37. And she said her doctor, she ended up leaving him. Her doctor called it a geriatric pregnancy. (laughs) (laughs) Do you ever hear that before? Yes, it's awful. I never It's horrible. It's horrible. It's ludicrous. It's horrible. It's utterly ludicrous. Geriatric pregnancy, that's so mean. Well, not to, it's just ridiculous. And not to mention that depending on how you take care of yourself, you you can't put all people the same age in one bucket. So there was that. And then the second reason she was high risk is that she had done the Down syndrome screening and her original results were something like one in 20. So she did another test to verify that the baby didn't have Down syndrome. And then her providers used it as the second reason to call her high risk. 
And I said, I'm not understanding something. What, how does that make you high risk? And then her response to me was, because my baby almost had Down syndrome. My baby almost had Down syndrome. Her baby literally that's, certifiably that, didn't have Down right, syndrome. I know. It's, it's, that's a, I'm just wondering where that, is that what the doctor said to her? Your baby that's almost had Down syndrome? That's exactly right. And she, they marked her as high risk because of her age, 33, and because her baby, quote, almost had Down syndrome. And it worked. It worked because that's how scared we are. That's how much anxiety we're going to feel. That's all it takes. So the first question I always have is, what kind of high risk are we talking about here? But it, either way, it comes down to a provider that you trust. The irony of being in control is being able to relinquish to your own body and the own mechanism of birth. And it's just the same as you tell anyone else. Learn about evidence-based birthing practices, the very things that will result in a safer birth for you, like eating in labor. If your body is commanding you to eat, absolutely staying hydrated during labor, regardless of whether you feel thirsty, staying hydrated. Um, being in a position that's safe for birth and all of the other things that we've covered in, let's say, the episode on evidence-based birth. But the, this is the path to feeling in control. And it isn't different and shouldn't be any different for a woman who's, quote, high risk or legitimately high risk or not. It's the same formula. Yeah, I think I would just add to that that really trying to get an understanding of the, high, the reason you're high risk and understanding as much as you can about the condition of your pregnancy or the potential risk during your labor, maybe trying to find some people who have had a similar um, diagnosis, whatever it is. So if she's group B strep positive and is going to get antibiotics periodically throughout her labor, intravenous antibiotics, I can understand that. A lot of women feel a little bit rocked by that. If you need to be induced, let's say, or if you need antibiotics and you know you need some kind of intervention, you learn to use your mind in a way that welcomes it. So the first question always that I would have anyone ask is, do I agree with this diagnosis? Do I agree I have, let's say, preeclampsia and therefore should be induced? Do you believe it's safer to be induced now than to wait any longer? And in the case of preeclampsia, it typically is. Um, do I agree that I have group B strep and do I want the antibiotics according to protocol? If the answer is yes, if you yourself are saying, I agree with this diagnosis, and I agree with the protocol. Now you need to relinquish to the very intervention you never wanted in the first place. Well, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to go through it resisting it, feeling afraid of it? Or do you say, this is what I want. I know I have this diagnosis and I agree with it. I agree with this protocol. Thank God I'm not doing this 500 years ago. And you use your mind. So if it's Pitocin, let's say the one thing you didn't want for your birth, and now you realize you need to relinquish to it, why don't you turn that liquid in your mind, create a visualization around it, turn that into liquid love, turn it into whatever you have to do. You picture your baby receiving it and smiling in utero, receiving it and saying, thank you, because this is the right time for me to come. Whatever you have to do. And it sounds so funny, doesn't it? I had a client who visualized it as blue mist because blue is inherently calming to humans, right? Any cool color is calming to us. She envisioned it all as a mist going through her. Whatever works for you, that's how you use your mind to stay calm and in control. It always does start with agreeing with the diagnosis, agreeing with the protocol, and then relinquishing with gratitude to the intervention that you are receiving. 
because you just said it yourself you agree that you need it so that's that's those are my thoughts i hope that's helpful trisha we have another breastfeeding one yes this is about um this question is about frozen milk dear trisha and cynthia recently i thought out milk from my freezer and when i tried to feed it to my baby she refused it she's never done this before so i smelled the milk thinking it had gone bad and it definitely smelled off when I looked this up online, I found that it may not actually be bad, but that my milk might have high lipase. Can you help me understand what this means and if there is anything that I can do about it? Sarah from Wisconsin. So it is definitely possible that you have milk with high lipase. Lipase is an enzyme that is normally present in milk and it's very beneficial, but women who have a higher concentration of it can actually have um, this effect on their milk when it's stored. So it's not harmful to have this. The milk is still as beneficial as any other milk. It's just that because this enzyme is more present and more active, it changes the flavor of the milk and it does create this sort of um, metallic or soapy smell and taste. Some babies have no problem with it. Other babies refuse to drink it. It's only an issue if you're storing your milk. So the longer the milk is sitting, the more time the lipase enzyme has to break down and the more metallic or off tasting the milk will become. Once again, it is not harmful. You can still feed the baby the milk. There are some techniques to prevent this from happening and it's only an issue if you are pumping and storing milk. If you're breastfeeding your baby from the breast, it's not an issue at all. So are you saying that some women don't have lipase in their milk at all? No, all women have it. It's just that some women have a higher concentration of it, and high lipase milk tends to have this effect if it's been sitting and stored, even if it's frozen. So the remedy for it is that when you, if you, if you do determine that you have high lipase milk, you pump your milk, you actually bring it to scalding temperature. You heat it? Heat it. What you're never supposed to do with breast milk. Yes. You, in this case, you However, need to. in this case, the heated breast milk is still better than any alternative. Right. If your baby will drink it with the different flavor or the different taste or the different smell, then offer it that way. But if they refuse it, and it's you just still want to use your milk. It's just it's as safe. Just, yes, absolutely. Except that you have heated it, which destroys. No, that if you heat it, you kill the enzymes in it, the, some of the living cells in it, like well, if that, you then cook this, food too much. That's exactly why it prevents the milk from turning to that metallic or soapy um, taste because you, you do kill the lipase. Those so, are the enzymes. Oh yes. yeah, you called it an enzyme. Yes. So that's that's the technique. You can you, This is all over the internet. You can look it up and it will tell you very specifically how to do it. You don't want to boil the milk. You just heat it to scalding, then you cool it down and you store it. I had, uh, this was the case with my milk. So I've been through it. I know. Did it happen all three times for you? It did. So if you think you have high lipase milk, first recommendation is feed from the breast as often as possible so that you don't have to store any milk. Any stored milk that you do have, you can use the scalding technique. And um, if you if your baby will drink the milk as is, despite the lipase content and the, and the change in odor and um, taste, then offer it that way. So here is a quick question that we should answer. I don't know what to believe when it comes to having food during labor. My OBGYN said women are generally vomiting throughout their labor. <laughs> I'm sorry. Love it. <laughs> Red flag. 
Okay. I wouldn't hang out with anyone who told me I would generally be wrong <laughs> under any circumstance. It's just, come on. Okay. Okay. My OBGYN said women are generally vomiting throughout their labor, so the last thing they would want is food. <laughs> you can't even say that without... <laughs> I, I'm sorry. But I can't even read this question without... <laughs> Did you just, laugh because it's, it's such a negative I'm statement? I'm sorry. It's just so absurd. The last thing you would want is food. I know. You're a human being. We like food. <laughs> okay. Let's get serious. So the last thing they would want is food. And I'm wondering if that is because they are so nervous rather than the food making them so sick. Just right there off the bat, trying to justify and figure out why the last thing a pregnant a birthing mom wants is food, right. when in fact it is not the last thing we want. There's a whole lot of things we would want less than food. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can I think of so. a whole bunch. <laughs> okay. All right. So easy answer. You are going to want food. You should have food. Food and water are what will help you get through. The thing about vomiting and labor, yes, it does often happen, and it's a great thing when it does because it's a sign of transition. Transition is that point between right around eight centimeters where you're moving toward full dilation, and vomiting is a really helpful way of actually opening the cervix. So you will want food. You should have food. It's totally okay. And don't be afraid if you do vomit in labor. Is it that common? It's certainly not abnormal. It's certainly a normal part of labor. I remember someone talking about that as a possibility when I was pregnant. And it really bothered me because you normally we associate vomiting with feeling awful and feeling out of control and feeling our stomach. And really for the women who do during labor, they usually say they feel so much better right afterwards. A hundred percent. Totally. What we do want to say is that it is recommended to eat in labor. It is evidence-based to eat in labor. And when you don't eat in labor, when your inclination is telling you you want to, um, it is associated with both prolonged labor and fetal distress. And guess what? And you're at risk of dehydration. But guess what? Number one and two reasons for cesarean section in the United States, prolonged labor and fetal distress. So you absolutely will want to eat. It's so strange that the doctor said that's the last thing you want. I think it's the last thing the doctor wants for some reason. But if that hospital were practicing evidence-based uh, evidence-based birth, they would be encouraging her mm -hmm. to eat. I'm sure your midwives did. My midwives did. Yes, they asked if I was hungry. And you're not eating large volumes of food. We're talking about just eating and drinking small amounts throughout labor to stay hydrated and energized. And on that note, thank you so much to everyone for reaching out to us this week. Please remember you can not only contact us through email and Instagram, but you can call us at 802-438-3696. If we've already answered your question, please update us. We'd love to hear from you again. If you enjoyed our podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and share a favorite episode or two. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Down to Birth Show or contact us and review show notes at downtobirthshow.com. Please remember this information is made available to you for educational and informational purposes only. It is in no way a substitute for medical advice. For our full disclaimer, visit downtobirthshow.com slash disclaimer. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, hear everyone and listen to yourself. Hey, it's Terry. I know that no one calls anymore, but... Um, I just listened to episode six, The Amazing Husband, and 
Oh, it's so good. It's like upsetting to me how good it is. Like this is such a message that every oh, so many women in my life need to hear this. So anyway, I just wanted to call and let you know that it's awesome. I consider myself someone who's so good at like asking for help and knowing what I need and having a husband who steps up and being realistic about expectations and it still just sits home for me. So um, it's great and every single person should listen. Every woman, every man should listen to it. You're awesome.